Well, good evening. Um, God has been very kind to our ministry this year. And I know that sounds peculiar uh, when we've endured a global pandemic this year. Um, but when I came in to, to pastor back in January, I walked into a conversation that our leaders were having um, about needing to speak to the topics, heavy topics of anxiety and depression. And in February and March, we had what we called spotlights on anxiety and depression, just an open time to talk about what does the Bible say about heavy topics like anxiety and depression. That, that happened in February and March. Little did we know, one month later, we would be thrust into a global pandemic uh, causing unprecedented trauma, anxiety, and depression. Yet the young adults of Bellevue Baptist Church had been equipped with God's Word to handle their anxiety, to handle their depression in, in ways that were faith-filled, not sinful, ways that pleased God. And so God has been kind to our ministry this year, and He will continue to show His kindness so long as we continue to, to glean from His Word that which He has for us to glean from it. And so tonight, um, we're going to look in the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to see what does Jesus say about anxiety as we continue to, to learn in the midst of a global pandemic where numbers are on the rise. Um, this is a surprise to, to no one um, that, that we're kind of on edge. Um, we're kind of feeling anxious, if we're being honest. Uh, that God is good to show His kindness to us from revealing Himself through His Word and how we can continue to handle the impulse of anxiety when it shows itself in faith-filled ways that please God. It's very important to note what comes right before our passage tonight um, and kind of reviewing last week. Last week we saw the kingdom perspective on stuff. Now, these these are... Two passages that are very related to one another. In uh, last week, we looked at Jesus' stern rebuke against the, the love of money and the materials that it often buys. Um, and we learned that even though temporal things, stuff, even though it does not last long, we can see that it captivates our hearts, it corrupts us, and... It can even push God away. And so this is related to what we're going to look at tonight. Because what we're going to see is that that doesn't just happen when you have stuff. It, it even happens when you don't have stuff. And in that sense of possibly not obtaining or possibly losing that which we treasure, we can often find ourselves in the midst of worry. And so let's look together at Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34 tonight. Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34 say this. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. 
are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Uh, Father, I just I want to pray one more time asking that you would show us your kindness through this scripture, knowing that anxiety is all too real. And that many of us even brought anxiety into this room. And so God, I pray that you would take this burden off of us, help us to process it properly in a way that would be pleasing to you. God, give me the words to say from your word that you would be pleased for your people to hear tonight. I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, so we see the king philosopher tackles the topic of anxiety. Uh, that's what we see in this passage. The king philosopher, Jesus, tackles the topic of anxiety, but he doesn't quite do it the way we would want him to. Uh, I know many of you are, are medically trained, and, and so you've kind of created categories for you know, general anxiety and, and uh, anxiety disorders. And I, I I understand where you're coming from. I do want to challenge you a bit, though, that I think this passage of Scripture has more to say about both of those cases of anxiety that you have categorized than you may want to confess. That we, we understand the sufficiency of Scripture to help us be sanctified. Yes, not necessarily to be, uh, have a sense of relief, instant relief that we may want in that moment. Um, but we do see that God is good to give us his word to help us be sanctified, made more and more like Jesus through things, problems like anxiety. And so we need to get on what does the Bible say about anxiety, not necessarily what do we believe about anxiety and, and what we've studied for ourselves. Um, so we see Jesus tackles this topic, but not necessarily in the way that we want. We know that that word anxiety carries a lot of weight. It is a very complex word. And so we need to understand, what does Jesus mean when he says, anxious? Do not be anxious. Um, we need to iron out what that means. We mostly know anxiety to be a feeling nowadays, don't we? So when we hear Jesus say, do not be anxious, well, that feels like an impossible command, doesn't it? If, if we understand anxiety to be a feeling, feeling and merely a feeling, then we look at this command, do not be anxious, and we can think, Jesus is commanding the impossible of us. And that's not true. That's not what he's doing here. 
No. I want to submit to you that Jesus is not talking about the feeling of anxiety. Rather, he is talking about the mental activity of worry. The mental activity of worry. Worry is the sinful thought response of anxiety. We cannot control the impulse of anxiety that that bubbles up inside of us. But what we can control is the thoughts that we give ourselves over to in the midst of anxiety. And that's what Jesus is getting at here in this central command. Jesus is actually saying, do not worry. And you can see this in the variety of translations. I'm preaching from the English Standard Version, which says, do not be anxious. But you may have a different translation. The King James Version says, take no thought. Ah, thought. The Christian Standard Bible says, don't worry. The New Living Translation says, I tell you not to worry. And so what these other translations are cluing us into that the ESV just doesn't quite get to is that this is a a mental capacity that Jesus is uh, commanding us not to give ourselves over to, not a feeling. He's not prohibiting the feeling of an impulse of anxiety. He's commanding us not to give ourselves over to the mental, the sinful thought response, the mental activity of worry. What Jesus commands of his disciples is not that they would not feel a certain way. It's that they would not think a certain way. So we see the king philosopher commands his disciples not to worry. The king philosopher, Jesus, commands his disciples not to worry. He says it three times in this passage. right? First in verse 25, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. And then again in verse 31, Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? And then finally in verse 34, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious or will worry for itself. Three times he commands that of his disciples and his listeners. So I think we can safely say that this is serious. Jesus is very serious about what we give ourselves over to in terms of worry. Jesus cares deeply about what you spend your mental energy thinking on. Now, anxiety is a form of fear, but it's a a form of fear that's based on the future, not necessarily in the present. Uh, You see, anxiety is based around uh, a perceived threat of danger, that you perceive that something that you love or cherish or treasure, whether it's a person or a place or maybe even yourself, if that's put in danger by some threat that's coming from the future, that's, that's what brings about anxiety. It's a perceived threat of danger on uh, yourself, someone you cherish, or something you treasure. When we perceive that threat, we often, often give ourselves over to worry. Spending our time and our mental energy mapping out in our head, a way that we can obtain or prevent the loss of something that we treasure. And you kind of see where I'm going from last week when it says where your treasure is, there your heart is also, right? That's what we looked at last week. An anxious heart is desperately wanting something. An anxious heart is desperately wanting something. And so I want to pause here and address that if you have anxiety that routinely bubbles up inside. 
flares up. You need to kind of reflect on that and ask yourself, what am I treasuring? If the anxious heart is desperately wanting something, what are you wanting? And then ask alongside that, does God want that to the level that you do? Whatever that thing is, it might be a good thing that you desire. But does God want it to the same level, to the same extent that you do? The anxious heart is desperately wanting something. Jesus' repeated command works to protect us from giving our heart and our thoughts, our desires, our actions to something that isn't worthy of it. Right? It's a good and loving command that works to protect you from idol worship. The worship of anything other than God. It's a good and loving command that He is good to give because it protects us from ourselves. And so other than this being a command, it's a command and it should be obeyed in and of itself. But Jesus gives us more in this passage. He gives us more than the command. He gives us three reasons that Christians shouldn't worry. And so I want to give those to you tonight. Three reasons Christians, the disciples of Jesus Christ, that they they shouldn't worry. The first of which, worry is dismissive of God's care for His children. Worry is dismissive of God's care for His children. The truth there is that God cares for His children. But in the midst of worry, we dismiss that truth. When we worry, we get so caught up in the perceived threat to what we treasure that we forget and push aside God's rich kindness to care for His children. We dismiss the truth that God has disposed of Himself to care for us. And to care for those who, who he loves. He has obligated himself to provide, to protect, and to pastor. Provide, protect, and to pastor. Because he's a good, good father. Now, I don't know what your upbringing was like. I don't know if you have a good dad, a bad dad, or no dad. I don't know if you experienced having an earthly father who lives to provide, to protect, and to pastor you. But I can tell you this, you have a heavenly Father that whatever shortcomings that you endured in your upbringing, your heavenly Father is worthy of your trust because He will provide for you. He will protect you and He will pastor you because He's a good, good Father. And Jesus gives us two examples to show us, to teach us, Two examples from nature to make a logical argument from the lesser to the greater. He notes our tendency to worry about sustenance and clothing, food and drink, and what we wear. When it comes to sustenance, Jesus points our attention to the sky. Takes note of the birds. Look again at verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your Father, your Heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then when it comes to clothing, he points our attention to the ground. 
draw our attention to the lilies. He says in verses 28 through 30, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, wealthy, wise, King Solomon, and all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Jesus brings up common creations like birds and lilies to make a point. God feeds the birds and they don't work to maintain a field or livestock. They're not agricultural creatures. They don't know what it means to cast seed and watch crops grow and harvest them. And yet they're fed, aren't they? God makes sure that they're fed. And then God clothes the lilies of the field that over time dry up and are collected with the grass and, and thrown into the oven. Um, yeah, that may seem strange to us because we're from West Tennessee, but when we look at uh, the Middle East, they don't have trees the way we do, right? We throw a log on the fire to keep it going. But in the Middle East, they don't have trees. And so what they have to do is they have to let grass grow and then cut it up and let it dry out. And, and then that's what they use to fuel the flame. And he's saying that the lilies, the common flower that's intermingled with the grass, that that's, that's clothed greater than the wealthiest king in all of Israel's history. That's not a put down on Solomon. It's a brag on God that he would array the flowers, the common creation, like that. Because he's a good, good father. If God cares about these common things, how much more does he care about you, someone made in his image? As Genesis says, let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You're made in the image of God. Not even the birds and the lilies can say that. So how much more? If he cares for those, how much more will he care for you? You think you have to work to provide for yourself and the ones you love? There's a sense in which that's true. But we would need to accompany that with the reminder, God wants to care for you. And he is completely capable of caring for you. But what he will not do is help you maintain a lavish lifestyle. God's not watching MTV Cribs saying Justin Bieber needs another Lamborghini. It's not, it's not what he does. He's about what you need. And he's good to give you what you need. And he's even better to keep you oftentimes from what you want. Worry reflects an anxious heart that is desiring something. Sometimes we desire good things like food and clothing. But if it's to the point that we worry and we use code words like stress and overwhelmed that mean worry, then more than likely we're dismissing God's care for His children. Secondly, worry is ineffective and counterproductive. Worry is ineffective and counterproductive. When we worry, it adds nothing to our life. It contributes nothing to our situation. 
In fact, it actively works against us. We see that in verse 27. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his span of life? Worry is the sinful thought response to anxiety, right? We've got that. Our minds are racing to see how can we take control of the situation. But it does us no good. Worry only takes away the opportunity to trust God. That's all that worry can do, is rob you of time and an opportunity to trust God. Corey Ten Boom was a Dutch Christian woman who helped the Jews escape from the Nazis during the Holocaust in World War II by sheltering them in her home. Now, I do want to take some time and just, let's just realize we may not be as bad off as we may think. Because when you put yourself in the shoes of Corey Ten Boom, in the throes of World War II, as she is greeting strangers who are fleeing for their lives into her home to hide them in, under floorboards, in the attic, in the closet, and feeding them, caring for them, all while under the threat that the Nazis could kick down the door, take those, and kill her. And then hear what she has to say about anxiety, about worry. Worry does not empty tomorrow of sorrow, but it empties today of strength. I'm going to repeat that and break that down. Worry does not empty tomorrow of sorrow. Isn't that what it promises? That if we worry in such a way that maybe we can alleviate some sorrow from tomorrow, maybe we can think about this in such a way that we can plan out that, all right, sorrow is kicked off another day. But it never does that. Worry does not empty tomorrow of sorrow, but it empties today of strength. It goes back to being robbed of an opportunity to trust God. Isn't that where we find our strength? When we trust God because he's trustworthy with our issues, with our problems? Worry does not empty tomorrow of sorrow, but it does empty today of strength. Faith is the key. Faith is the key to responding in a way that is worshipful, not worrisome. Which is why Jesus brings it up in an all too common label that he gives to his disciples and uses throughout the book of Matthew. Oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. You see, God wants you to process your anxiety in light of who he is and what he has done, right? When you get the impulse of anxiety, that's okay. That's not sin in and of itself. God allows that so you can process that in light of who he is and what he's done. And we see evidence of that in Psalm 27. And we read what David says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Verse 1 first sentence, that's what he says about God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? 
The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. And here's why. One thing have I asked of the Lord that will, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What's David's human experience here? He's surrounded by an army, a legitimate threat on his way of life. And yet the first things out of his mouth is who God is. He's the light of my life. He's my salvation. What do I have to fear? He's processing his anxiety in light of who God is and what he's already done for him. And that's what we're to do. Worship in the midst of uncertainty is both effective and productive. It is effective in that you were created to worship God. That's your purpose, to worship God and enjoy Him forever. That's why He made you. And so it's effective in that, to worship in the midst of uncertainty. It is productive in that it grows you in godliness. You bear fruit. You become more like Jesus. Worry, on the other hand, is ineffective and counterproductive. We think worry helps us process threat and be able to adapt, but there is no way to plan for every possible outcome of any given situation. It's impossible. So we must give our mental energy to worship, to worship and to pray to God and not to worry. And then third, Worry is typical of those outside the kingdom. Worry is typical of those outside the kingdom. When we worry, we look like the broken world around us that scrambles to hold itself together. Take note of what he says in verses 31 and 32. Therefore, do not be anxious. Do not worry, saying... What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Jesus mentions the Gentiles earlier in chapter 6. We looked at this a few weeks ago. He says in verses 7 and 8, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Jesus' use of that word Gentiles in Matthew 6 is, is meant to be a generic catch-all word for the outsiders of the kingdom. Remember, Matthew is writing to primarily a Jewish audience. And so when they hear that word Gentiles, uh, they know exactly what is meant by that. Uh, Gentiles had always been the outsiders to them. But here, Jesus uses it to distinguish those who are and those who are not 
the covenant people of God. People outside the covenant, they strive after the things that they overvalue. Our problem when we worry is that we are treasuring worldly things like the world does, which makes us value God less and less. Anxiety reveals what we're most fearful of losing. And worry is trying to have a greater degree of control over it. The world seeks after necessities, not knowing that it is God who provides them out of an abundance of His kindness. We who do know God must seek after Him because we know He is willing to provide us with far more than food and clothing, isn't he? If we seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then these things, he says, are added to us. And so the king philosopher redirects the anxious person's attention to his kingdom. The king philosopher redirects the anxious person's attention towards his kingdom. And probably the most powerful verse in this passage, verse 33, he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Uh, his use of the word first there is, is showing the priority, yes, but it's, it's in a way that nothing else even compares. right? Above everything else, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Right, that kingdom of God, we've been talking about a lot for the past couple months. That righteousness, we know, is whole person righteousness that we've been talking about for a long time now. That it's consistency, it's completeness that Jesus is after for your heart. That the inner would match the outer. And his kingdom, it's the kingdom of God, is not merely geographical. It's spiritual and it's coming. It's ever increasing. And he's saying... Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things like food and clothing, your necessities, they'll be added to you. In order to seek the kingdom, a heavenly trade must take place. A Bible word for this trade is repentance. It means to turn from your sin. You may need to repent from the worry in your life. Right? Understanding anxiety is not in and of itself sinful, but worry, giving yourself over to the sinful thought response, is sin. And so when you do worry, and if that's common for your life, well, you need to repent. You need to turn from that sin. You need to turn from worry. Maybe you're grasping for control in areas where you simply cannot have it. You need to repent. And look to the sovereign Lord Jesus who is in control of all of it. Maybe you're anxious because you're simply overvaluing something that the world values. Repent by inviting Christ to come and sit on the throne of your heart to help you reassess and balance what it is that makes up your life. Repent. Maybe it's not over food or clothing but you may be worrying about something that only the Lord can provide. And you should repent. 
Maybe one of those things is your salvation. Maybe you think, I I haven't earned it. Let me solve the debate in your head. You can't earn it. It's not possible to earn your salvation. You cannot deserve it. It is the free gift of God. That's what we call grace. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. We all have equal footing at the cross of Jesus Christ. Because we all come with open hands and broken hearts. Asking that by grace, he would save us. Having faith in the Holy Son of God who gave himself for us. Maybe some of you need to repent because you're so worried about your salvation because you think it's up to you. It's not. Jesus Christ is the Lord of salvation. That he holds it firmly in the palm of his hand. He's got you. Repent from that worry. Put your trust in Jesus for the gift of salvation. Make the trade. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Repent of your worry and trust God. Prayer is essential to this trade. As we read in our scripture reading in Philippians 4, it brings about the peace that surpasses all understanding. You see, prayer is the faith-filled mental activity. If worry is the sinful mental activity, prayer is the faith-filled mental activity. I think that's why Jesus teaches his disciples the Lord's Prayer before he covers, do not be anxious, do not worry. It's so that they would be properly equipped to take on what he's commanding them to do. We combat thoughts of worry with thoughts and speech of worship and prayer. Prayers that recount the promises of God do the heavy lifting and decluttering our hearts for stuff. We seek the kingdom of God when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so if I can sum up this passage in Matthew chapter 6, I would say, don't worry. Do not worry. Instead, seek the kingdom of God above all else and let your anxiety fade away. I chose every one of those words very carefully. Do not worry. We see that repeated in this text. Instead, we seek the kingdom of God above all else. Like it's the only thing that matters. And when we do this, let your anxiety fade away. I think many of us have been battling anxiety for so long that we've let it become part of our identity. And that we now know ourselves to be an anxious person. And I, you don't have to live in that. If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, over time, that anxiety will fade away. And ultimately, that will, it will fade away permanently. That's what he promises us. Remember the Beatitudes. We covered week two of our journey together through the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 6 says, 
Flourishing are the ones hungering and thirsting for righteousness because they will be satisfied. The ones who hunger and thirst for the things of this world will not be satisfied. Sure, your hunger and thirst may be temporarily quenched, but that appetite that you have will be insatiable. You will be disappointed when you treasure temporal things and worry about them when they become threatened. The one who hungers and thirsts for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, on the other hand, they will be satisfied to the core of their person for all eternity, forever and ever. The kingdom of God, it is not receding. Our Lord is not retreating. The kingdom of God has been firmly established and is ever increasing. His righteousness infiltrates every corner of the once rebel turned citizen in the kingdom of God. We worry when we're not focused on the kingdom. But when we are focused on the kingdom, our anxiety fades. Now, not always instantaneously, but over time, more and more, it fades away. Do not worry. Instead, pray and seek the kingdom of God above everything else. If you make that the focal point of your life, your anxieties will diminish as God cares for you and your every need. Because he's a good, good father. And he can be trusted.